It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Ned Rice grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. as a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, taking trips to watch games at Camden Yards. After graduating from William & Mary, he joined the Orioles in the media relations department, starting a career in baseball that has seen him move up the front office ranks. Rice remained in Baltimore through three different front office regimes before moving to Philadelphia in 2016 to become the Phillies' assistant general manager. I had a chance to sit down with Rice at the Phillies' spring facility in Clearwater, Florida, before camps shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. We discussed his start with the Orioles, what he's learned working for Andy McPhail, the pros to bringing so-called non-baseball people into a front office, the highs and lows of pursuing high-profile free agents like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Phillies assistant general manager, Ned Rice. But first, let's hear a word from this week's sponsor. Putting ketchup on a Chicago dog? That's a bad choice. Playing Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of MLB? That's a good choice. It's free to play, easy to use, and there are flexible season lengths, meaning you can start or stop whenever you want. Yahoo was also rated the number one fantasy app for users by the FSGA in 2019, unanimously chosen. So make better choices. Choose Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Ned, you grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. There were no Nationals at the time, right? Yeah. Who was uh, your favorite team? Uh, I was an Orioles fan. I think that makes sense. I think most of my friends were. So I grew up going to Camden Yards all the time. And the traffic was terrible, but you'd, you'd, you'd gut it out and get through there. But, I mean, again, the Orioles were big in D.C. when I was a kid. I mean, the Washington Post covered them. That, that was the baseball team for D.C., uh, when I was there so it's a lot of fun and I have a lot of memories of going to playoff games there in 96 and 97 and and so getting to eventually work for them was really special. So Jeffrey Mayer not a good name for you. Not a great name. (laughs) Remember where I was for that too yeah. I think that was the first playoff game I ever went to. Really? Yeah. Oh it's crazy. I was, I, was, right I was a New Yorker, so yeah. that was we were on the right side of that one at the yeah. time. But that was exciting. You got the right field umpire right out there, and you, right? It's like that's why we have umpires down the line. That's right. What uh, What was your peak as a baseball player? Uh, I was not much of a baseball player. Um, I uh, this is going to sound like an excuse, but I was I was a pretty good player in little league, and then uh, and I played baseball and basketball, and I kind of pretty quickly got bad at baseball and stayed pretty good at basketball and so I stopped playing baseball and I found out like a year later I just had terrible vision and um, so so that didn't really impact you as much playing basketball as it would playing baseball so then I missed it you miss a year of playing everybody else gets better and you're just like ah, I'm, I, I can't get back in now so I just focused on basketball so now that having the career I have I wish I had just got you know who cares it's one year you would have been fine but um, but it was fun I love playing basketball I still love basketball um, but no, I didn't. I don't have the high-level playing experience that a lot of a lot of my colleagues do. You graduated from the College of William and Mary in 2005 with a major in government. Was uh, was a career in baseball always the goal? No, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I actually thought some kind of government or politics would be interesting. 
Um, I did a lot of student government in college, which was a great experience, just learning how to work with different people and, and, and handle things like that. But no, I didn't really know. I think it was sort of at towards the end of my time in college, I had a friend whose friend worked as a PR intern for the Orioles. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Like, I, you know, I think like a lot of people my age have read Moneyball and you're like, you know, I'm kind of a mathematically inclined you're like this you can apply this stuff to this could be a real job and you never really thought of that before so I wouldn't say it was until like you know maybe junior or even maybe senior year of college where you're like that'd be really cool but but you don't really know if it's going to work out so um I my my best connection was somebody who, who worked in PR at the Nationals and uh so I went up and I met him and he he was he was great and uh his name was Lars and he he offered me eventually an internship and I was like, this is great. So right when I graduated, I'm going to start in PR with the Nationals. And and so I, I call him right when times, and he, he had got, he, they let him go, which was like, because the Nationals at that point were kind of making a lot of changes. They let him go, and he's like, I don't really, like, I was kind of your guy. I'm not sure. So I, I tried to call them, and they said, we're still about So I kind of, that was the big opportunity I thought I had uh, disappeared. Um, so I was pretty, I was pretty bummed about that. But eventually, through kind of another person, I found out that our the PR one of the assistants in PR, Monica Pence at the time, was um, also William Mary grad. So I reached out to her and, and got an interview there and did an unpaid fall internship uh, in the fall of 2005. So I was living at my parents' place and kind of driving an hour and a half each way. Uh, but it was just unbelievable. Like I, I still kind of think about it. like the first time you walk into the the warehouse where you come to games forever as a fan. You just it just felt like the most special thing in the world. It's pretty neat, like having your first job at the team you grew up loving. You shifted from media relations to baseball ops in 2006, started as an intern, like so many others. You were also the road video coordinator that yeah, year. prepared. What was that What was that first experience in baseball ops like for you? Yeah, so I, I knew I was starting, I was going to start a baseball ops internship on opening day. Uh, I'd done a couple uh, fall and spring in PR and, and had my, my big, my kind of big break was I... As the PR intern, you bring the press clips around, so you used to, now it's all electronic, but it was a really cool experience, so I'd cut them all out, tape them, Xerox them, bring the packets around, so you get all the baseball ops executives, you get them, so you kind of get to know everybody and kind of put a face and name in a way that you might not get to now. So um, so that that enabled me to get that first internship, and then like maybe two weeks before I was supposed to start it, they said, uh, the guy who runs our stadium video operation said the video coordinator just had a baby and doesn't want to do the road games can you fill in and do that we just need somebody who can do it and is available on short notice and no one's more available on short notice than a 22 year old single guy so, <laughs> so I said yeah so so I was doing the I was in the office during the home games and I was on the road in every road game and talk about like an amazing experience as a young guy it's like who, who again without a lot of background in this you're, you're on the road you're in a big league clubhouse you're seeing how stuff really works how you know how coaching staffs prepare how players really are and I think for a lot of us that kind of grow up reading baseball perspectives or fan graphs or whatever, kind of seeing this is how, you know, all these teams are doing these things wrong and we should do it differently. And you kind of have this certain idea of how you'd want to fix things if you were in charge. It was good to really see how things actually worked and like what went into it. And these are real people and people are trying their best and, and there's a reason they do different things. So uh, it, it was awesome getting to... Getting, and again, also you're traveling, you're doing charter flights and these nice hotels when you have right. like, living 20, the life that yeah. most 22 year old right. single guys don't. Yeah, you got you're making seven dollars <laughs> an hour, but you're living the same life on the right. road that these millionaires are. It's crazy. Yeah, so it was a great experience. That first year, you talked about being able to interact and, and put a face to names and stuff. Yeah. Mike Flanagan and Jim Duquette were running the team that year. Uh, how much interaction did you have with them 
in those early days? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it was the, the other thing is that at that time, overall in baseball, and I think Baltimore specifically, we had smaller front offices. So now the the intern might not get to know the GM, but just when you're there, you know, whatever, 60 hours a week, including on the road, 80, 90 hours a week, uh, you run into these people all the time. So my, my I kind of sat at a, not a cubicle, but just sort of at this like desk out in the hallway, which is right outside their offices. So you'd see them multiple times a day. It was, it, it was cool. So I think as time went on, you'd, you'd kind of try to pick your spots and give, you know, uh, you'd see a topic that you thought maybe the organization could use a little more input on. You would try to very carefully and respectfully word something and give it to him, and you'd be nervous about, you know, what's Jim going to think? And then he'd say, yeah, that was good. Can you write me something up on this? So um, so kind of over time, got more opportunities, and they were both great to me. And Jim's still someone I'd consider a friend to this day, and obviously Mike's situation is really tragic. But um, they were they were really great, and I think either one of them could have just said, "Hey, you just leave us alone." And they were always they right. were they were really cool with me. Two thousand seven, you're promoted to player information analyst, a role you held for four years. What were your responsibilities there? Yeah, so that was the, the other thing. So when Andy McPhail gets hired to be the GM of the Orioles, um, his, our administrative assistant for the GM was sick, and they needed someone just to answer Andy's phone and again this is still cell phones are just kind of becoming on but like most GMs are calling each other on their landline so, so those are flip phones back then right they flip weren't there weren't even iPhones or anything no yet. I don't think so maybe yeah, a Blackberry like, maybe in 07 but like you know I think if, if people if GM wanted to call Andy to talk with trade he was calling his office line so like I was sitting out there answering his phone so when you're there you're kind of really understanding what happens in a day like okay he's doing this and then you kind of get to learn what the GM schedule is and same sort of thing where I think I was I was probably our most sabermetrically inclined front office person at that time just by nature of being young and a little mathematical. So I would, I would kind of pick spots to give Andy recommendations on things. And again, the, it's, this is very minor stuff compared to what, what you know people do now. But I think he found it helpful a little bit. So eventually he, he offered, that was my first full-time job, was he wanted to kind of formalize that and, and, and add some kind of this analysis in, into all of our transactions. And it was just, again, it was an awesome opportunity. It's a small front office. As a young guy, uh, you're, you're getting involved in everything we're doing. A, a team calls and wants to talk trade. It's like, what name should we be looking at? And you're kind of pulling together scouting reports and statistical stuff. It's just, uh, I don't. Again, somebody now couldn't have that same experience. We're just, we're just so much more sophisticated and bigger, and have, frankly, smarter people. And uh, and and it, but it was an un- unbelievable time. Andy once said, <clears throat> "This is one of my favorite quotes." I used to make poor Ned Rice in Baltimore come up and explain everything to me. I would say, what about this nonsense? And he would explain to me that I was old and dumb and needed to understand these things. I'm guessing you never actually used the words old and dumb. You're correct. Uh, but did you see a shift at the time as a young guy in the game? Could you see a shift sort of happening between old school and new school? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think at the beginning it was it could be more contentious. So I think like how you went about stuff was really important. I, it's something that Andy gave me a lot of good feedback on in, at the beginning. But I've always tried to be, you always try to understand somebody else's perspective and why they feel the way they do, why they operate the way they do. You know, you have a lot of people that you know the, the sabermetric community saying this guy's dumb, he's doing this wrong, and here he's won you know 1,500 games as a manager in the big leagues. It's like what? I mean, this guy probably doesn't think he's dumb. He's had a lot of success without you or you or you. So, right. um, 
And Andy's like that too. I mean, Andy's a guy who had two World Series wins, been a GM, and he's in now in his third place. He'd run an organization, and he's so he's had a ton of success. But he was still always curious and always wanted to know more, and was open-minded. And he would push back on things that he didn't think made sense. But um, he was always respectful about it, always curious. I mean, he couldn't couldn't work for a better guy. Again, just an incredibly lucky first opportunity. Andy's career is very well-known, legendary. Anybody who hasn't heard his episode on this podcast should go find it because. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. What was your biggest takeaway working for him in Baltimore? Oh man, um, he he, and he's still like this now. Obviously, I work for him here too. He is, I think, more than anybody I've worked with, understands the bigger picture very well. So he he, and whatever you're doing, he can see the he sees the whole playing field. What this is going to mean, you know, for now, if we're talking about something that's bargaining related, he'll understand what this will mean to the union and what it'll mean to the league. And he's he's obviously got a lot of experience doing that. He'll understand when we're doing changes in the minor leagues, what this will mean to the players, what it'll mean to the coaches. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of times where you, where I would have an idea that I really thought made a lot of sense. I'd run it through a few different ways. He'd come in, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, but for this and this reason, I don't think that makes sense. I'd be like, ah, I'd never thought of that. You know, he, he just sees sees the whole playing field really well. 2012, Dan Duquette gets hired as the GM in Baltimore. You're named assistant director of Major League Operations. This is your third front office regime in a yeah. fairly brief career uh, to that point. What's it like to make that transition when – somebody new comes in to run the baseball ops department yeah i mean you just you have to you have to be flexible and adjustable i mean like dan like uh jim duquette and mike flanagan sort of brought me in as an intern and andy when he hired me decided he wanted me to be you know make me full-time and expand my role dan never hired me so he didn't uh he didn't have any obligation to me or or you know so it's it's a little scary as a time right you're not sure he might have his own guy or not really uh want to include you but Dan was always great too. We had, you know, obviously that was we got uh, Buck was hired just before that, and I had a good relationship with him. Um, so I think I think kind of my role shifted a little bit in that Dan sort of Dan did have people he probably got more analysis from. So I, I did less of that, and I spent more time around our major league team, more time managing the day to day roster uh, stuff with salary, payroll, a lot of the stuff Matt did before Matt Klintak did before he left. So. I got a lot of opportunities to do different things than I'd been doing before. So I was kind of did less analysis and more stuff that's that's kind of it's similar to what I do now and kind of more an assistant GM type role, even though you know that wasn't that wasn't the title. I was doing a lot of stuff that that just manage our day to day twenty five man operations. You know, that was a great experience too. Um, Dan's first year, we we made the playoffs, got in the wild card. There's just uh, Every day was different. We were juggling rosters left and right like crazy. Uh, we, we, we thought we were a little short talent-wise compared to some of the teams we were competing with and that we had to always be churning and churning and making sure we had the best guys for that day. So that was like every day was kind of a puzzle uh, post-game and working with Dana Buck was awesome. That You mentioned you guys made the playoffs that year. They hadn't been in the playoffs since those games you were talking yeah. about going to as a fan. Yeah. What was it like to, to be a part of that? And did, did you feel like the organization at the time was – Sort of headed for a, a lengthy run. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I think I think you go back then. You remember that uh, Boston and New York were both good, and and they had money and talent, and you just felt like they were going to be good forever. It just it felt a little insurmountable. Um, I think we felt really good about some of the young talent we had, both through the draft and some of the trades we had, like uh, trading Bedard and Tejada brought us a lot of interesting players. But you don't really know. Um, I think the, the Hardy trade was important for us, and we never really had a shortstop. Uh, that solidified things. 
you know, I'm trying to think back, but I think I think the whole time in 2012, you kind of felt like it was a little bit of a pinch me moment the whole time. You just never really thought it was going to work out, and and we're we're right there, we're right there, and you know, hopefully we can still be playing meaningful games in September. And you get to September, oh my God, it might be, you know, and you just you think you're going to do it. Um, I remember the thing then is Baltimore. It was it was such a good baseball town, and they just had nothing to root for for a long time. And they really started coming in September, and the the games were we were selling out some games against the Yankees during the week, which was so cool, and the place was rocking. And you, we really really wanted to have a home playoff game and see what that experience would be like. But you have to we, with the wild card games on the road in Texas. We had Joe Saunders starting against you, Darvish, um, and that was sort of our formula all year long. <laughs> we never really had we had a great bullpen, and we scored some runs. And we played great defense, but. Uh, we, we, you know, I don't, I don't know what the Vegas odds would have been on that matchup, but you know, I think we certainly felt we were underdogs, and, and you go in there and win, and just how excited everybody was, and and to get to the home games and play in Baltimore it was just unbelievable. I was still in the Yankees beat back then. I remember going into Camden Yards that September, yeah, and it was. You hadn't seen the ballpark like that. Yeah, you know, I've been covering the Yankees for twelve years at that point. It's nothing. Like the that. Orioles had not been. You know what? The, what was yeah. going on that season? And it was, it was really cool to see Camden Yards sort of. Energized again, yeah. and and uh, you know the playoffs were, the playoffs great. were great. It was great. Yeah, it was it was a really. Uh, and I remember that was the year because they just changed the format so that the you could you, the first two games were at the lower seeds. So right. even though the Yankees were the high seed, we opened game one at home, and we had, we had give up a bunch of runs in the ninth inning to lose, but uh, came back in one game too. I mean the whole series was great back and forth. You had the uh, we talked about it a lot with Joe when, when we were hiring him, but that's when. Uh, he pinch hits uh, Ibanez for Aaron. Yep, I, va- I vaguely remember that. <laughs> yeah. And you know that was one thing we talked to Joe about in the interview was like how you know what what a tough decision for a manager and like how like what goes into that you pitch it for yourself right so uh, but it was it was more interesting to talk about now than it was to live at the time I'm sure <laughs> I remember talking to Bob Miller on this podcast and he yeah. was talking about rules and how when he was a young guy coming up somebody said to him if you know the rules you'll always have a job and how important it is to know every loophole every rule and everything else. In 2014, you found a loophole that allowed the Orioles mm. to keep Steve Pierce or bring back Steve Pierce yeah. after the team had DFA'd him. Uh, he had been claimed by the Blue Jays. How important is it to know every one of these rules so that when something like this comes up, you have a chance to take advantage of that? It's important. I mean, I, I admit I didn't know that one before we used it. Um, Tell us what that was. Just yeah, for- so so we had. We had designated Pierce for assignment, and then uh, so that that buys you at, at at that time you get ten days to resolve a situation. So you can by the end of ten days you have to either uh, put him on waivers, release him, or trade him. We knew he was good enough that he'd get claimed on waivers. So all three of those result in him leaving our franchise. So there's kind of no way out of that. The next day, Chris Davis gets hurt, and now we're like, well, you know, we didn't really have a role for Pierce because. We had people start, but now we don't really have a backup first baseman. So Davis, we were very lucky the timing of this. Davis gets hurt and is going to be a 15-day DL stint. We're like, man, we'd love to have Pierce back, but is there any way to do it? So we're kind of going through, assuming the answer is no. This, this You kind of go on these searches a lot. Is there any way we can figure, you know, usually the answer is no. But for some reason, the rule, there's a rule that if, so if you release a player, you can't re-sign him for 30 days. And the loophole there was unless you are playing short from the time of that you release him until you, he clears his release waivers, which is 48 hours. So we kind of looked at it, and we had, a, we had a game, and then we had an off day. So we were like, if we can just we can put Chris Davis on the DL, go to 24, not call anybody up for him, put Pierce on waivers, then you have the off day, he'll clear the next day, then we could sign him back and put him right back in the big leagues. And uh, I don't really know why that rule exists. It doesn't seem to, <laughs> doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. 
But when we kind of found that, you know, you check with the league. Are we reading this right? Like, this seems right. crazy. <laughs> want to make sure. Want to make sure yeah. I'm reading this correctly. And then uh, so it worked out, and Steve was Steve was great, and his agent was great. They were excited to come back and, and go right into everyday playing time. And then he took off. So even when Davis came back, he we had to keep his bat in line if he was playing so well. He ended up with like a you know four win season, mostly playing left field for us, and did an awesome job. He's a great kid. So so that was a cool story. Um, yeah, I think it's important to know the rules. There's a lot of times where if you kind of know how, if you know things intuitively, you've been through them before, you can maybe anticipate a situation. But also, there's there's a lot of help for you. Like the when when Matt Klentak left to be the assistant GM of the Angels, I kind of became a rules guy and didn't know any of the rules. So I tried to learn them, but the, the you, I would call the league three times a day. Hey, I'm, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. Is that allowed? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's allowed. You're fine. How many times were you told? No, that's not, <laughs> not allowed. Not too often, but, okay. but yeah, but no, but you check, and and they're good too. They kind of know who's new, and they keep an eye on you. Right. And say, hey, we got this this deadline coming up next week. So, um, and I, I'd call Matt anytime I didn't know about something. So you, had, you had, I had a lot of support, um, which was which was helpful learning and learning something new. January 2016, you're hired by the Phillies as assistant general manager. You'd been with the Orioles a long time, your hometown area, sort of. Yeah. Uh, given your relationship with Matt, was it an easy decision to come to Philly? Yeah, professionally, I thought it was. I mean, the, the thing is, I um, had just um, just gotten engaged, so um, that you know, you have to make sure this now becomes a family decision as opposed to just a personal decision. And my wife's an attorney, and was uh, so her job was flexible, and then she could go somewhere else. But she was she was awesome, and thought a new adventure sounded fun. Um, yeah, and, and the other thing I tell people this now is like when you you don't really hear I've lived in D.C. my whole life in Baltimore you don't really hear like a lot of great things about Philly as a city and I was like you know that'll be a great job I don't know if I want to live in Philly but you know the job will be worth it and we'll just kind of deal with the Philly part and we get there and we like love it and it's just we live in the city and uh, people said you're going to want to move to the suburbs and we just we, we rented in the city and we just bought a house in the city and, you know, it, it's amazing. We're raising our kid there now, and just we think we think it's, so. It worked out better than we could have ever anticipated. It's just kind of a sleeper, great town. It's kind of you know you hear all about New York and DC, so that that's great. We're still sort of close to family, but professionally, it's been amazing. Uh, Matt Matt is great to work with. Um, we we maintained a strong relationship after he left for the Angels, um, and it, it was just a great opportunity to kind of to be more involved in the global. You know the the running of a department. We were sort of we were starting a rebuild, fairly you know uh, fairly from scratch. So we were really trying to build an organization up from the from the ground floor, um, and and that, that was really appealing to me. Is like we were kind of as opposed to kind of continuing in Baltimore, where we kind of we got to that point is start over and try to build something up that could be sustainably successful. Was is the goal. New organization brings some new challenges, I'm sure, learning the whole system and yeah. sort of learning the way things operate. Having Andy, having Matt, uh, your other, another assistant GM, Scott Profrock, and player development director Joe Jordan, also guys yeah. you were familiar with. How much did that familiarity sort of ease your transition into not only a new work yeah. environment, but a new city and just sort yeah. of a whole change in life? It helped a ton. Yeah, Scott was with me at the Orioles. He was uh, he was assistant GM when, when you mentioned I first got hired by... Mike and Jim. Scott was, I think, probably the first person I interviewed with. Scott was has always been really supportive to me throughout my career and still is. Uh, yeah, Joe, I knew pretty well. Matt and Andy, so that made it easy. And and you've probably heard this before. It sounds like everything I'm saying is just so rosy positive. But I've been pretty lucky. The Phillies are just an insanely 
family-friendly, welcoming organization. I, I assume you've heard that from other people before, but they they go out of their way to welcome people to make you know whether you're an intern or uh, or assistant GM. Uh, everybody everybody knows and it's talked about that. Kind of started with David Montgomery and. You know, my first day, he came over and sat down and ate lunch with me and uh, wanted to know everything about, you know, my background. And he already knew a lot. He was prepared like you were, but, you know, wanted to know what my wife does and where she's working in the city and what where we're going to be living. And just and this is the guy who's the longtime president, everybody said, should be the commissioner of baseball. <laughs> right. just, and the thing is, it's not, that wasn't unique to me or because I was just, he, like, he does that with every intern on their first day. And, and you know, I'm definitely a strong believer that a culture of a place starts at the top, you know, and between him and our ownership group. Uh, there's just so many opportunities when you run a club to, or when you run any business, like, you know, I'm sure same thing for you, that you're, the people who run it get, have so many different decisions over the course of the day of, that can either be pro-employee or anti-employee, can either, like, antagonize the people that work for them or make them feel, like, supported. And, they, like, our group will kind of spare no expense to make people feel supported. And uh, it, I think that's I think that's fairly unique in baseball. Um, I, I'm sure there are other great places to work, but this is, this is pretty special. You mentioned some of the things you are responsible for. Your media guide bio says your job description includes mapping out strategy of roster management, overseeing the analytic and medical departments, assisting in player contracts, negotiations, transactions, salary arbitration, and rules compliance. A lot of stuff. A lot of fluff. A lot of stuff in there. Uh, scouting report time. What area is, do you believe is your greatest strength? Uh, that's a fair question. I think uh, I think probably is just interacting with people fairly well. I feel like just I feel like I can get along with people of all different backgrounds. I feel like with um, you know again older school managers, coaches, scouts, or our analytics team trainers. It's like. I feel like I think part of this is background growing up. A lot of it's working with Andy and seeing how he does it. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good ability to, when when there's ever kind of a conflict or something between two departments or, or two people or inside versus outside, just to understand a little bit where each side's coming from and try to try to mediate that a little bit. Um, a lot of what a lot of what we do is is you know, uh, I think is probably more boring compared to what people might view from the outside because there's a lot of cool things when you're signing Bryce Harper or whatever. There's a lot of there's a lot of fascinating things that come with the job. But a lot of it is we, Matt is sort of as the GM in charge of a baseball operations group that has, you know, 200 plus employees, 200 plus players. You're kind of running a small little company within your company. And just like anything, just a lot of stuff comes up. And, you know, I know I talked to my wife a lot that there are a lot of days you come home and she's like, what'd you do today? And I'm like, I don't know, but I was like busy all day. And like, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, I'm not sure, but like, it's you. But I know I won't have any time yeah, to breathe. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be. You know, not that you never have some slower days, but um, every day is a little different. I think you're putting out fires more than I would have guessed coming in. Uh, you're just you're just dealing with okay, what's the issue of today and, and fixing that. So I try to be adaptable, but um, but big picture, I think there's a lot of people that would be good at these jobs. I know they're. Uh, I think we're all replaceable to a degree and uh you know and and we hire more and more like really impressive people you know all the time there's more uh you're hiring people that played baseball at a high level that have advanced degrees and and just really have unbelievable skill sets and it's it's unbelievable how 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 smart and impressive the game has become as you probably know better than anybody from doing all these yes uh there have been 
plenty of people yeah. who I have on this podcast who are far, far yeah. brighter than me. But yeah. fortunately, I can just read a list of questions and have, you, have a conversation. That's, and, that's why you wanted to do this one? <laughs> yeah, sure. um, so even the best players in the game have areas of their game they want to improve upon, and they work to do that. What area of your game, so to speak, would yeah. you want to improve upon most? So my biggest regret is, you asked if I wanted to do this for a long time, and I think the best evidence that I did not uh, is that I took French growing up, <laughs> you know, in high school, which is just completely useless. So like, I would, I'd love to speak Spanish better. There's certain things that I wish I was better at that I, I'm not sure what the capacity for would be. I mean, I think, like, you know, I didn't play baseball at a high level. I think there are certain things you can learn from. Uh, being around it, I feel like I'm comfortable in discussions with scouts and such, but I, like, I, I don't see the game the way a scout sees the game. And so I think some of that is stuff where if I dove in on that, I could probably get better. And some of it is, I think there's a certain experience you get from playing the game at this level or a level close to it that, that just is a differentiator. Um, but I think those, those are probably the two things I wish I had more. I wish I spoke Spanish. I wish I had more higher level playing experience. I'm right there with you on the Spanish front. I yeah. took Spanish in high school. I just didn't Still. do well in it, and I wish I'd paid more attention, because if I had mm. known what career I was going wow. to get into, that would have been... Uh, Imagine how versatile that'd be. Right. Get, get interviews Mariano Rivera used to joke with me. He, he would always speak to me in Spanish and then say, how many words did you understand? <laughs> I'd say, I understood like every third word yeah. or so. He tried, but I, I just... I don't know. What you know it? enough Spanish where if you're walking through the clubhouse and you feel like they're talking about you, you can tell what they're saying? Uh, no, I <laughs> no. don't. Okay, so which, they can say whatever they want. Yeah, pretty much. Um, in March of 2017, the Phillies, who had been considered kind of behind other clubs on the analytic front, invested a lot of money in the department. You guys brought in people with resumes all over the place. Google, yeah. Northrop Grumman, Bank of America, Baseball Prospectus, you know, yeah. sort of very well, very big variety of people. You said at the time that bringing in people from outside the game was appealing because they come in with no assumptions. Why was it important to you to have such a wide variety of of you know people from different places to come yeah. in to work in a baseball analytics department? Yeah, I think as much as we like all pride ourselves in baseball on being creative and open-minded, and you know we read Moneyball and then we read this and everything's we're going to analyze it. I think there's still even though that's that's sort of uh, advanced thinking on some levels, it's also we all were kind of reading the same advanced thinking, you know, if you will. So I think we a lot of the people who were in baseball at, that were considered kind of new school, all we all sort of learned and thought the game similarly. Um, and I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, but it's we still thought it would be easy to get group thinking about that. And so I think new people that are really smart and can just address these uh, address problems without preconceived notions is appealing. And sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll work through something with our R&D group and they'll suggest something that really just doesn't make a lot of sense for whatever reason. Sometimes they will come up with something that we hadn't, that hadn't really occurred to us before. So um, I think you need some kind of a balance, and, uh, and we have a lot of that now. We have, uh, we have a lot of people that work heavily with our R&D group that have playing experience and, and time on the field, but... Uh, no, but they've been great. They're a lot of fun to work with. The group thinking thing is interesting because it's sort of like you kind of have to, to some extent, do what everybody else is doing because if there's something there that's beneficial, you can't fall behind there. But at the same time, you're trying to be innovative in your own right. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah, sort it's a, of a it's, a... it's a it's a tough needle to thread. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of these days you should get Sam Fold on this, but... Um, 
Sam is Sam's really impressive in that in that area. I think he's as progressive and smart as as any analyst you know in the game. But he's he has an unbelievable feel for people, feel for players. So we'll sometimes be looking. You know, there's a certain adjustment we want a player to make because you can see statistically he's much better doing this than that. And Sam will usually agree and try to help implement it. And sometimes he'll be like, you know, for for this and this reason, I don't think that I don't think that's going to work for him. And you're like, wow, that's that's a great point. So. Um, it, yeah, it's it's important to it's important to have a lot of people, a lot of diverse approaches, and people who think about the game in different ways. I think it's just going to make you better and, and increase the chances that the best ideas will 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 win the day. What does the word analytics mean to you? Because if you think about it, the words evolved a lot over the last yeah. two decades, right? We think back to Moneyball; that was sort of the beginning of the analytics boom it was on base percentage, really, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, it's a lot deeper. It's not yeah. necessarily stats, metrics. It, it's sort of a very wide-ranging word at this point, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I th- it's sort of a... It's, it's, it was kind of inevitable that this would eventually happen in baseball. You know, when you look back, it's sort of it's what has happened to every company in the world is that as, as data, you know, they talk about big data. As you have more information, it's going... Companies are going to use it to try to get competitive advantages. So... Um, but there's all kinds of information that fits within analytics. Like you, you mentioned stats, and, and I think that's what we commonly think of analytics as. But like a lot of their projects involve, um, you know, what are the best, what are the, what are the most predictive elements of our scouting reports, and like what things are our scouts really, really good at uh, at, at predicting, and maybe they predict better than our um, than our than than traditional stats would. What uh, medically, like what types of things that we see in college. Um, become issues as you become a, as you progress further along. So, I think there's all sorts of different data sources, but it's not just statistics. For you know, it's it's everything we use to evaluate players and like how to balance everything the most properly to make the best decision. If that to sum up in a sentence, sure. So, uh, summer of 2018, you guys were one of the teams that had pretty extensive talks with the Orioles when Machado was yeah. on the block. Um, a lot of executives, a lot of front offices are loath to give up prospects for a rental. Yeah. How tough is it to balance long-term interest versus short-term interest yeah. when you think you have a chance to go for it when, when an opportunity presents itself at that time of year? I mean, the one everybody always points to is the Cubs trading Glaber Torres for Earl's Chapman, yeah. which obviously in the long run is not a good trade, for. but they won the World yeah. Series that year, and Chapman was a big part of it. So, you know, Theo Epstein has said, I, I knew that was going to hurt, but I wouldn't not, I wouldn't undo it because he held us yeah. in the World Series. We had, uh, when I was at the Orioles in 2014, when we won the AL East, at the deadline, the kind of the mate, our, our bullpen was a little shaky. We really needed someone on the left side. Best guy out there was Andrew Miller, who's obviously just dominant wipeout guy. And uh, and the price was going to be Eduardo Rodriguez, who, um, you know, so as, again, I think this is an interesting learning perspective where I was fairly opposed to doing it and, and you know Dan didn't want to do it but it was a certain point was like you know this, this is who knows if you have another chance like this this is a pretty good team we owe it to the team so we do the trade the team that would have had him you know by kind of news reports came out the, the runners up were the Tigers with Dombrowski so we played the Tigers in the first round of the division series and we we largely beat them in their bullpen and uh, and our bullpen, bullpen was lights out and I remember kind of thinking that I admire Dan's kind of guts there. I think the, it'd be easy to just say, ah, this is a bad long-term play. We're going to build for the future, but you don't really know what the future will be, and you and you know. So anyway, 
rambling point, but uh, I think you're exactly right. Um, we that that uh, that season we had a pretty good team that that we thought that would be a hole that Man- Mandy could fill a hole for us really well and at a superstar level. So we were willing to go a little further then, and then when that didn't come to fruition, we weren't like, well, we're we're, we're going all in with, on somebody else. We then had a pretty conservative trade deadline. We th- I think we thought that. It, that he was a pretty unique situation. There's not usually superstar rental players available, and we, we thought he could really uh, push us over the edge. So we were willing. We made a pretty significant offer that I think was similar in value to what he ended up going for, and, and they picked the other offer. But it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, you. It's. I, th- I think it's very easy when you're when you're the GM. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of GMs. I think I think a lot of times when you're debating a trade. Everybody kind of thinks, what's the worst case scenario that could happen here? It's like, I trade this guy, he becomes amazing. This becomes the whoever trade, whatever the prospect <laughs> right. is that it's known as forever. So so I think we, we try to fight uh, just risk aversion uh, by default, but it's uh, but I think there's a certain risk aversion that's baked into every GM a little bit, um, and maybe except for Jerry, <laughs> which, I, which I also admire about him. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard. Um and we, we have that debate. I mean, we have that debate now. I mean, you, we read all the time that we the Phillies need one more piece, and they should trade. Price. And and we talk to teams. We're always trying to get better, but there's a certain price that you think is too far, and you won't know for a number of years if you're right or not. After the 2018 season, you were under consideration for the lead baseball ops job in Baltimore. Knowing your history with that organization, rooting for them as a kid, what was that process like for you? Really cool. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, I had uh, a good relationship with both John and Lou Angelos. They were conducting the search. Um, I kind of told them at the outset that I, I didn't I didn't think I'd want to do it just because we were just starting a family in Philly. I was so happy there. I was really excited about the trajectory we're on. But um, but I had a, you know I had a lot of thoughts about the organization and think like the direction they should go for my time there. I spent a lot of time there and then juxtaposed it with some of the things in Philly. And I think there were a lot of things that the Orioles did really well and a lot of things I thought they could do better. And I, I was excited to talk about. It. I still I still care about that organization. I mean they gave me my start. It's who I grew up rooting for. So I was excited to sit down with them. They were awesome. Um, they they had a ton of questions and were very interested. And um, again I I think it would have been I think that would have been a tough tough time for me to go do something else but um, they, they obviously found someone awesome in Mike who I went to high school with I, that was my next question yeah. I, you know when, when you're researching these things yeah. for these podcasts and you, all of a sudden you see something you're like is yeah. that right I'd never yeah. I, you and Mike Elias were, were high school classmates back home in Virginia yeah. are you ever sort of amazed at how small this baseball world yeah. is it's crazy we, uh, yeah it was a small you know it was, it was a graduating class of 400 or something we were in the same same class I think we weren't like best friends but in a small uh, small school, you kind of know everybody fairly well. So, uh, yeah, I think we, we've stayed in touch a little bit as each of us kind of moved on to different jobs, and, and obviously he had a lot of success with Houston, which I was really excited for him about. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing, small world for sure. January of 2019, you and the rest of the front office meet with both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. They're the two biggest free agents on the market. We obviously know in hindsight now how that yeah. turned out, but how much fun was it, uh, or was it? Stressful. How, how how was it to be engaged with the two biggest players on the market, uh, knowing that your team had the ability to sign one of them? I mean, there are a lot of teams yeah. out there that don't even take meetings with players like that because they know that they can't play in that you know in that in that ballpark. Yeah, no, you were right. It, that was the whole thing was a pretty surreal experience, and uh, I knew Manny pretty well, and I, I didn't know Bryce at all, and 
so we had we did Manny first, and we had him in. He was great, and getting to spend time with him and his wife and his agent, and we had a whole long day. We had a dinner that was amazing. We had a blast. So um, that was great, and you know, I think I think we both left there feeling good about each other, and and obviously the economics didn't quite line up. And then Harper was amazing too. Again, as a guy I didn't know at all, and you have I think everybody in the league has certain preconceived notions of who he is from from watching him play. And so we, we had maybe we met with him for about four hours in Las Vegas, and just like the most thoughtful. Uh, I mean, he's you know he's a baseball historian. I mean, have you, have you spent much time with him? Not a whole lot, a whole but lot. a little bit. Um, you know, he was reciting to John some, you know, John would mention a moment, you know, that he was ex- important to him at the Phillies from, you know, maybe the 2009 NLCS and, and Bryce would finish his sentence because he knows the plays talking about it. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that are like that today right. where they just, they, yeah, Bryce loves, loves, loves baseball. So I think we, we that, that was incredible to get to know him and, and see what he's like, but then you still wonder a little bit like, is you know, is he's trying to get signed. Is this what he's really like? And and I'm kind of going off topic here, but he has been like the best teammate, the best guy, the best partner. Um, we are we're very lucky when you make a commitment of 13 years. It's pretty scary. Like you're like, what if you know day you know month two in May you're like, man, this guy's <laughs> kind of a jerk. Like what are we got? Right. You got 12, 12 and a half more years to play this out. So uh, the team leader, he's been awesome. But. Yeah, it's a crazy experience, and that's again, that's something I don't think ever would have happened in Baltimore, for instance. If I say they're not just, I know they've made up, they've they've made a lot of significant commitments, but it's I think there's only a handful of teams that can be in on meetings with Bryce Harper at the three hundred million dollar level, and um, yeah, we're we're lucky to have a pretty supportive ownership crew. Ironically, you guys signed the player that you didn't know. Yeah. Um, but when generally speaking, when you are courting a free agent or you're thinking about a player in a trade, is it Beneficial to have had that prior relationship with the player and know, you know, I mean, you you, you, you took a meeting with Manny Machado, you knew Manny Machado, Matt knew yeah. Manny Machado, and even family Manny Machado, yeah. and the good and the bad and in between yeah. and everything else. Is it, you know, everybody always talks about doing their homework and due diligence on their makeup and then what they're going to be yeah. like at the clubhouse and all that. You know what they can do on the field. Is that an advantage when you know the player? A little bit. Um... Again, I, you know, Andy and Matt didn't really know Manny that well in that he debuted sort of after they had both left that he debuted. So they he was there as a minor league player, but we, it's hard to get to know those guys really well. You know, I knew Manny, but even when I knew, was was kind of old old by the time we got there, right? So, like, my last year with them was in 2015, and we're doing this before the 2019 season. So it's 16, 17, 18, where he's a superstar and getting the attention and the free, you know, that, that I'm sure you've seen a lot of players can and often are different at you know as a two-year player and as a six-year player. So we still did uh, I think an extensive amount of homework on both those guys. And you know obviously I knew a lot of people at the Orioles, so that helped a lot. Right. And I was able to talk to a lot of people about what's he like, how's he changed, this and that, and make sure we have a comfort level with him and Bryce, who we knew less about. But we have people here who worked with Bryce, Brian Minetti, spent a lot of time with him, Eric Dalton, one of our scouts. We have people who who know him pretty well. But we still called, you know, dozens of people uh, that worked with him in in other capacities that we know in the industry. It's just, you know, I, mean, I think it'd be foolish not to. Of course. <laughs> it's just, you know, you know I think and you're never going to get, like, a perfectly consistent picture. But if you talk to 30 people and you're getting hearing something from 25, 26, like, you you start to feel pretty good that that's probably what you're, what you're getting. So after you've gone through this whole process and then Bryce agrees to sign with the Phillies, what's what's the feeling? Is it is it? Yeah. Relief? Is it euphoria? Is it like, oh my god, I can't believe this actually got done? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, 
you know, uh, everybody, in, you know, you've seen everybody in Philly was going nuts. Uh, we're, we were down here. There's some relief. It just took a while. Um, you know, I think it was probably February 28th or 7th or something. It was right at the end of February, start of March last year. So you're in spring training. We're usually getting ready for the next year. and We're spending the whole time. It's like, you know, all day, every day on, on the Bryce stuff. And uh, so there's some relief that you could turn the page, but just excitement and just what it means. And I think as you, when you start a rebuild, you're kind of hoping that eventually get to the point of sustained competitiveness. And uh, But bringing it, like knowing that you're, the kind of the team and the franchise you guys that that exist is attractive to the you know maybe premier free agent of all time so far it is I think I think that's rewarding obviously money is a huge aspect of it but I don't think he wanted to sign somewhere where he thought think this is not a good place for me or my family or if it's somewhere that I don't think they're going to be able to be competitive so I think it said a lot about the organization both baseball wise and and the ownership family atmosphere here that he wanted to play in the Phillies. You guys went through a managerial search this past offseason, ultimately hired Joe Girardi, who I have spent a lot of time around. Uh, I've heard some executives say that they dread manager searches, that they're just tedious and long and you just want to get somebody hired. I've heard other people say it's a great opportunity to gain insight into the way others think and organizations they've been around, etc. How did you view the the how do you view the process of a managerial search? I think search? those are both completely correct. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think our two manager searches are two of the more interesting things we've done, but it's, it is hard because the offseason is only so long, and the manager search, because of how important it is, is takes forever. Uh, it's like when we did the first one where we hired Cap, we, it's probably all day, every day for two and a half weeks. You know, you're doing first round, you know, our first round interview with seven or eight guys is is eight hours in a dinner, you know, so you're just, you're, it's crazy. Um, but you're, you're meeting such fascinating people that have been through experiences that you can't quite always relate to. And, and you're trying to picture which of these different skill sets will fit best into your market and your team. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an awesome, it's, it's a really fascinating experience. I've, I had a great time with both of them and this year, obviously with, uh, Joe and Buck and Dusty, it was really impossible to go wrong um i knew buck well i didn't know joe joe was immediately impressive i didn't know dusty and um you hear kind of people talk about dusty and not you know old school and not and you know is he advanced enough to be good and then you always kind of wonder those things and you meet him you're like oh i get it like this guy is awesome and you can see why if 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 you bring him in and you somebody says we're gonna win a lot more games because everyone's gonna love playing like i can see that you know Dusty much? I've uh, been around him yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just what what a guy. So what a great hire for Houston. I think you know. You, I think people know what I think of Buck, but as as good an in-game manager as I've ever seen. Um, going back to a question you, we were talking at the beginning about when we were good in 2012. Those of us who've been at the Orioles for a while, there it, it was hard to believe that we were going to be able to ever get past the Yankees and Red Sox. It's just the 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 big bad teams. And Buck came in right away. I think he did an interview where. He said, you know, talking about Theo Epstein, that he's only smart because he's got so much money, and that you know, and he's screaming at Jeter from the from the dugout and telling him to stop leaning into pitches, and and I don't know if he meant any of these things, but he's just, I think he just kind of gave everybody a little like, hey, f you, like we're we're like as good as you guys, and everyone, I think everybody noticed that, I think that's one of the things he did incredibly well. So we had a good group of candidates. Obviously, your short-term goal in this game is to do whatever you can to help the Phillies win the World Series. Do you have any long-term goals in the game? Is it important for you someday to be a GM or run your own team? No. Um, 
I, I don't think so. I, I think in the in the right. I think Matt kind of said we talked about this before. Matt had always said in the right situation it would be appealing, but otherwise it might not. And in the right situation for him, someone he really trusted in the president uh, chair, and and, the, and I, that's sort of how I feel. I think in the perfect spot it, it could be interesting, but there's something really great about the assistant GM job, um, where you can you know the I can make a recommendation and say this is what I think we should do. Good luck, Matt. <laughs> You're not the guy they're screaming yeah, about on yeah, sports radio, yeah, no right? One, yeah, no one, no one hates me. <laughs> so uh, sometimes it's sometimes it's the best of both worlds. I always tell Matt that 28 days out of 30, it's better to be the assistant GM. <laughs> so he's got he's got two days of, two days a month on me. But no, I think I think um, I think you never know what the future holds, and that's you know one of the tough things about this industry is the job security is always tricky in these roles. You don't know whether you'll be here for six more months or for. 20 more years but um no i I love this organization uh they've been great to me i'm really excited about what we're building i would love to see us win a world series here in philly ned appreciate your time thanks a lot it was a lot of fun thank you this is great many thanks to ned rice for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of executive access in our next episode i'll be joined by eric chavez a six-time gold glove third baseman who now serves as a special assistant to angels general manager billy epler We'll discuss Chavez's playing career, what he learned from Billy Bean during his days in Oakland, his transition to the front office, how his opinion on analytics has changed since his playing days, and much more. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about executive access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinstein. Stay safe, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.